Thank you for joining us this week. It's our honor to serve you and be part of your walk with Christ. Don't forget to check out our website at lifefamilychurch.net. Have a blessed week and remember, the best is yet to come. Tell them who you are. We have visitors today. Tell them who I am. I'm Mrs. Pastor. That's what uh, one of the officers called me. I thought that was so cute. He's like, bye, Mrs. Pastor. (laughs) And uh, so Lexi is a first-year intern, so y'all welcome her to the internship program. But we're super excited because we're actually launching our official uh, LFC drama team. So we always do dramas, we're on the mission field, but generally that just involves the missionaries, but it's been a pastor's heart and my heart for a couple years to have an official drama team that worked here year-round and did not only our missions dramas, but our stateside and church dramas and sermon illustration, because uh, the gospel is very uh, poignant when the visual arts are used. How many of you have ever seen any of our overseas dramas, the everything skit? Very, very powerful, even if they don't understand the language. So we'll be doing that this Easter. And so uh, Lexi's going to tell you the details for those of you that are excited to be involved on our official drama team. Hello. Like she said, we have a drama team here, um, and I would like to ask if you've ever done any dramas, um, if you've ever done anything in the like visual arts, I'd love for you guys to come see me in the Source Center. We have sign-ups today, um, and I'd just like to have a lot of people come out there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, with experience for drama teams, uh, I used to do drama in high school, but when I actually did it for the church, it was, um, it changed me because it was like we were putting something visual for people to see, and the love of God came alive to people, Um, and watching them, they changed my heart too, even, you know, I grew up in church and everything, but seeing um, the drama team do their skits and everything touched my heart too, and it changed me as well, so um, it'll be a life-changing experience for you guys. The Holy Spirit, he falls whenever we do these uh, visuals overseas here at the church, um, and it brings in people to the church as well. So do not save the drama for your mama. Are y'all happy this morning? Okay, good. Open your Bibles to uh, the book of Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to give you another revelation here on tithes and offerings. I think you'll be encouraged by this, which is really awesome. I, li- I also like to show a crusade video, so could maybe get a crusade video up. Um, I just talked to a pastor yesterday, and we are also planning to do something in Miami, Florida. So uh, this seems to be awesome. I mean, we're going to Barahona, Dominican Republic in the month of June, and then in the month of November, we're going to, um, where are we going? Burma. We're going to Burma to do a crusade in Burma, which is uh, Thailand, India, China, right around there. So we're going to Burma. And then I just talked to uh, a pastor yesterday, and we're going to plan a trip to Miami to meet with a group of pastors about doing a kind of a crusade there in Miami. So, man, I, I think we're living in the last days because we're kind of being sped up here about doing some things. So that's really, really awesome. And so we're going to have we're going to have a meeting with Christian and, and um, Kayla about um, doing some work there. Okay, Malachi, chapter three, and we're going to pick it up in verse number six, Malachi three six, and it says this. If you're there, I'll wait till you get there because I want to show you some things that really bless you when it comes to tithes and offerings. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says this, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of our fathers, you have gone away from your, my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, says the Lord of hosts. But you've said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Now, you know there's a difference between robbing somebody and being a thief? Yeah. A thief usually takes things without anybody noticing, but when you rob somebody, when a bank robber goes into a bank to rob a bank, he's got two brothers with him, Smith and Wesson. Praise God. Amen. And it causes a form of surrender. Why is that? Because you're giving over to the power of another, Smith and Wesson. So I learned this a long, long, long time ago. I didn't ever want to be considered a robber in the eyes of God. Now, we know that tithing is 10 cents out of every dollar which belongs to God. It goes way back before the Levitical law. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. For example, in the book of Genesis, you had the Garden of Eden. Isn't that right? And God put Adam and Eve in there. And this is what he said. He said, of every fruit of the trees in the garden you can eat of, but the fruit of this one tree you can't eat of. So what was that tree? Knowledge of good and evil, okay? So you can have 90% of all the fruit of the trees that are in the garden, but the 10% of this one tree that produces this fruit, you can't eat. So the principle of the tithe actually goes way back before Levitical law because it was under the Edenic covenant. You have to understand it went covenant, law, and now we're back under covenant. We're under the Abrahamic covenant. We know that Abraham tithed to Mel, King, Melchizedek, king of Jerusalem. Hello. So therefore, if we are the children of Abraham, we should also tithe. It's a covenant thing. Now, people ask me all the time, well, Dr. Jack, if I tithe, then what are the benefits? Because God never asks you to do something without giving you something better in return. He never asks you to give up something without giving you something in return. Luke 6, 38 says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Watch this. Press down shaken together and running over will men give into your bosom for with the measure that you give God gives you more besides so you can never outgive God so in other words he's always a giver he's not a taker yeah but you know doesn't the Lord give and take away well he took away your sins hello somebody that's a good thing taking away your sins because he became sin on the cross right so watch this I I thought to myself, because we were studying a little bit this morning and reading along these lines this morning, and it says this, Return unto me, and I'll return unto you, says the Lord of hosts, but you've said, Where we should return? Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me, but you say, How we robbed thee? By tithes and offerings. So it's not just tithes only, but it's also offerings. It's also offerings. That's the reason why I always encourage you to give a little extra. The tithe belongs to the Lord. Offerings are given based upon what you feel in your heart based on your heart. He goes on to say, in verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me this whole nation. Now, that sounds like a double curse. You are cursed with a curse. Doesn't that sound like a double curse? But here's the deal. We're under the New Testament. So we're no longer a cursed people. Yeah, Galatians says, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Galatians chapter 3. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Jesus became a curse for us so that we may receive the blessing of Abraham. 
When, when you read in, in Deuteronomy the blessings and the cursings, Jesus became all the curse, but he left the blessings. Blessed in the field, blessed in the city, blessed in your job, blessed in your business, blessed going in, blessed going out. Can you say amen? So watch this. He says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me. This is the only scripture in the entire word of God from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 that says prove me. Test me. Prove me, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that then shall not be received. And he says this, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Now I want to show you something that comes along with the tithe. Rebuke. When you tithe, Satan is rebuked from stealing, killing, and destroying from you. It's automatic. You mean to tell me that when I tithe 10% and I give up an offering out of my heart of what I want to give, it causes an automatic rebuke against Satan? It's automatic. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It's forever the foundation in which we build our lives upon. So therefore, when you tithe, you're invoking an automatic rebuke from the enemy. It's in your arsenal. We have the name of Jesus in the arsenal. And we have an automatic rebuke. Why? Because the Bible says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So if you want to know what's in a person's heart, look at their checkbook. Because what's happening is this. People spend their life for dollars. Whether you get paid once a week or you get it paid every other week or if you have a business and you have clients, money will always reveal a person's heart. Thank you for those three amens and a grunt. I heard amen. Amen. You must be thinking. That's what it is. You're probably pondering. So therefore, with tithes comes an automatic rebuke of the enemy. We know that John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Say this with me if you would, please. God good, devil bad. Prosperity good, poverty bad. Sickness bad, healing goods. Are there any questions? Say That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. Now, here's here's something very interesting. A lot of preachers won't tell you that there is a real devil. And he wants to kill and steal and destroy your life. Everything that bad happens in your life is not because of God. Come on, hello. Why? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so in other words, Jesus provides life. He breathes the breath of life on whatever's dying in your life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Jesus doesn't cause things to die in your life. He resurrects things that are dying. So if your finances are dying, he resurrects it. If your body is dying because of sickness, he resurrects it. He's a good God, and his mercy endures forever. So you have to understand that everything that bad happens in your life is, for, is two reasons why it's happened. One, you did it. Or two, Satan. I'm almost convinced, out of the seven billion people on the planet, I'm almost convinced that sometimes Satan had nothing to do with a person's mistake. They did it. And as a matter of fact, I think sometimes Lucifer turns to his head demon and goes, did you think about that, what they just did? Did you think about that? And the head demon's like, nah. He said, that was way too good for me to do that. The worst enemy you'll ever face in your life is the person you looked at in the mirror this morning. So the next time when you're going through something, you look in the mirror and you grab that person by the back of the neck and you look at him and say, you! You want some of me? You cause more problems in my life. Straighten up. Be the John Kerry and liar, liar. Is it Jim, Jim Carrey? Okay, I'm sorry. Jim Carrey in Liar, Liar. How many of you ever saw that movie, Liar, Liar? You know, yeah, he stepped into the stall, right? And, and the toilet beat the crap out of him. Excuse the pun. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm beating the crap out of myself. Do you not think that sometimes your declaration, your confession may be getting what you're getting? So if, you're, if you always say, well, I've always got marital problems. I've got issue, marital issues. I can't afford. Well, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. Do you not think that sometimes we are snared by our own words? If there is power of life and death and the power of the tongue, isn't it interesting? Timothy says that it's a small member of the body, but it can be a ruling. Isn't it interesting the Bible says that you could praise God at one moment and then be cursing God at the next moment? Yeah. It, doesn't it say that there's a small rudder and it could turn a ship? Yeah. So sometimes what happens is this, is that we just have to understand that when we tithe, it's a covenant issue and it in, invokes an automatic rebuke. That means you have authority. You have authority. You have authority over the enemy to stop the enemy from stealing, killing, and destroying from you. Can you say Amen. John chapter 14, verses 13 through 21 says this, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also. After that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, it is he that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The person and work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I think sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, people don't understand who he is. I think they're more familiar with some of the manifestations of the Spirit of God, maybe the gifts of the Spirit, instead of Him as a person. I think sometimes in Pentecostal charismatic circles, you know, there's been extremes to everything, and I think sometimes some of the extra oververted individuals, you know, cause some people who don't understand to repel from the things of the Spirit of God. Now, here's the deal. When you get born again, when you ask Jesus in your heart, you get God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're three in one and, and one in three. But there's a difference in developing a relationship with the third person of the Godhead. Okay, you get all three, and all three are in you. But there are different levels. There are different places. There, there's a, an intimate relationship that you can develop with the Holy Spirit. You've got to get to know him. Now, One of the key things to developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit is this, is if all you have is the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, you can get really dry. But if all you have is the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, then people get flaky and they get weird. Brother Hagin taught us many years ago, stay in the middle of the road. Always have a balance between the Word and the Spirit. And then you won't flake up, you won't dry up, but the key thing is you'll grow up. And that's that's a real key. God wants us to grow up spiritually. Right now I'm working on a series on growing up spiritually. Because we should be going from glory unto glory and realm unto realm. We shouldn't be remaining at the same level spiritually. We should be growing and changing. Can you say amen? Now John 14, 26 and 27 says this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I've said to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, the amplified version of the Bible calls the Holy Spirit your comforter, the advocate, the standby, the strengthener. When he said, when Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, I will send another, he is talking about the Spirit of the living God. Now, when you talk about Jesus, because Jesus came in human form, Humans can relate to humans. Humans can relate to God because God has a hand, he has a nose, and he has physical features. Jesus said in John 14, when Philip asked him, uh, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said to Philip, have I not yet been with you so long, yet you don't know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Why is that? Because Jesus was the express image of the Father. The miracles and the signs and the wonders that Jesus did on the earth wasn't because he did it. He said, it's not I that doeth the work, but my Father in me, he does the work. Well, you have the same Father. 1 Corinthians uh, 3.16 says, Is not your body the temple of the Holy Ghost and God there dwells in? So watch this. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the God of the universe, the one who created everything, The one who has such power that if he were to stop the earth from spinning on its axis, we'd all fly off because gravity would no longer exist. Lives on the inside of you. So what is the struggle? The struggle is our unrenewed mind to the word of God and what our flesh wants to do. 
Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You renew your mind by two things. One, you renew your mind by the world, or you renew your mind by the word. But we are renewing our minds. When you get born again, it's the very baby stages of Christianity. But you should be growing. So how do you grow? Well, Psalms 119, verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. If the heart is the root of the problem, come on, nine times out of ten, we get ourselves in trouble because our hearts aren't right. If the heart is the root of the problem, that's where God can do his greatest work. It's on the inside of one's heart. Amen. Because God's the God of the heart. So the comforter, the Holy Ghost, he's the third, he's actually a person. He has emotions, he has feelings. Now, anytime the natural comes in contact with the supernatural, something's going to take place. Something's going to give, and it's not going to be the supernatural. The supernatural is the unseen realm. In the book of Matthew, chapter 9, and verse 35, it says, Jesus went about the villages preaching, teaching, and healing. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't preach another gospel. We don't preach cotton candy messages. We don't preach messages that make people feel good. No, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, is not my word like a hammer that breaks open the hearts of the most stubborn resistance. You cannot sit under the word of God, unadulterated word of God, and under the unction and the spirit of God in a place and not change. It's impossible. Because all of a sudden, the word that goes forth brings a conviction. It brings a change. And sometimes what happens is people don't like to change. Somebody say change. change. Thank you again. Come on, somebody say change. change. Somebody say change. change. Say, Lord, Lord change, change me. me. And that can be very painful. It can be very painful. Change can be painful, but it is very beneficial. Because God wants to take us from glory to glory and realm to realm. Now, the promise of the Spirit. See, he said he'd never leave us comfortless, so he left us with two things. One, he left us with the Word of God, which brings comfort. And two, he sent the mighty Holy Spirit. Ever wanted to give Jesus a hug? I mean, I've, I've done I've always wanted to give Jesus a hug. So how would you give Jesus a hug? Take your Bible... Put it on your chest and give the Lord a hug. Because then John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word came among us and dwelt among us and became flesh. So this is him right here. But our flesh has trouble reading this every day. Why is that? Because the Word of God invokes change. It is light that reveals any darkness in us. Darkness does not overtake the light. Come on, hello, somebody. No, the light always overtakes darkness. Jesus said, if I go away, John 15, verse 7, if I go away, it's expedient for you that I go away. If I don't go away, then the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Not only will he be with you, but he will be on the inside of you. We serve a God we cannot see. I don't know about you, but I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen demons. I've never seen angels. Because the Bible says, blessed is he that believes and has not seen. 
But you can certainly feel his presence. You can certainly come in contact with the anointing of God that radically changes your life. Now, here's the deal. Let me give you forewarning this morning. The Holy Spirit is going to move. We are going to see a demonstration of the power of God this morning. Don't freak out when you see it. Now, the reason why people do freak out is because they don't understand. They don't understand. And what they don't understand, then comes a cognitive reasoning. Is that God? Is that the devil? Is that flesh? What is that? But in 23 years of ministry, in over 14 different countries of the world, ministering to over a million people, that's what the ministry has done, I've noticed this. Everyone, every single person that had cognitive reason, every person, if they would just embrace God, God would come on them and radically change their life forever. I remember many years ago in the late 90s, early 2000s, when we were traveling extensively, I went to Cherryvale, Kansas. It's a place you go to on purpose. You blink and you're through the town. And we were at an Assembly of God church doing a revival meeting. And I remember there was this one guy who was with the railroad service for like 22 years. And he'd be, he got saved like 25, 30 years ago. And he wanted the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. So he, after one of the services, he said, hey, preacher, he said, I'd like to take you out to, to lunch. And I said, okay, great. We're going for a steak dinner. He said, that's what you want? I said, absolutely. I want a steak dinner. Praise God. He said, okay, I'll come by and pick you up. So he came by a little early, about 1030 or so, 11 o'clock around there. And he had this hot rod that he built. And it was open canopy, and I mean, it was, it was something. It was, it groaned, praise God. I, I heard somebody say this, you know, they say that um, Harley's pray in tongues and gold wings interpret, praise God, or something like that, you know, <laughs> motorcycles or something. <laughs> Harley's pray in tongues and gold wings interpret. All right. <laughs> What's a gold wing and a Harley? Okay. So all of a sudden, he's like, and he's talking to me. I've been seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost for 25 years. I said, 25 years? I said, have you prayed and asked? He said, yeah, he said, it, but my prayer language hasn't come. My prayer language hasn't come. And I said, okay, well, maybe I can help you with that. So we're talking and talking, and it's like 3 in the afternoon now, and he's got to take me back to where I'm staying. And I was staying in a, like, a, it was a two, like, downstairs was like, was like the fellowship hall, and then upstairs was a room where they, uh, the preachers could come and visit. So he said, let's go inside the fellowship hall. I said, okay, it'd be great. So we sat down at a chair and, and uh, at a table, at a lunch table, and I opened the Bible up, and I began to show him scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And at the end of the scripture, he said, well, I, I'm ready. I'd like to get this. And I said, okay. I said, do you know what your part is? He said, yeah, my part is to do the praying, and God's part is to do the filling, and you're to do the laying on of hands. I said, okay, then there you go. It's that simple. He said, is that simple? I said, that simple. So I said a short prayer with him, and then I put my hand on him, and I said, be filled with the Holy Ghost. And suddenly he started yelling at the top of his lungs in other tongues, screaming. Then he started laughing uncontrollably, started getting drunk in the Holy Ghost, fell out of the chair on the floor. It was just me and him and God. He fell on the chair on the floor. It wasn't a big crowd. Amen. He falls on the floor. He's laughing, weeping, and praying in other tongues. This lasted for about 10, 15 minutes or so. After he kind of came to a close, he got composure. He stands up and he said, if I knew it was that easy, I would have did this 25 years ago. Yeah. He wasn't hurt. He was over in the realm of glory. 
And we know this to be biblical because in the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, verse 9, says this out of the Amplified Version of the Bible. Stop and wonder at this prophecy if you choose, whether you understand it or not. Soon you will witness the actual event and be confounded reluctantly. Blind yourself now if you choose, then be blinded at the actual occurrence. They are drunk, but not from wine. They stagger, but not from strong drink, but from spiritual stupor. That's Isaiah 29.9, if you'd like to open your Bibles to that, praise God, amen, or look it up, Isaiah 29.9, out of the Amplified Version. So this was 400 and something years before the day of Pentecost came. But Jesus prophesied about it in John 7, 37, 38, and 39. Jesus stood in the last day of the great day of the feast. He said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For out of his belly will flow forth rivers of living water. Verse 39 says, but this he spake of the Spirit, which was not yet given for Christ, had not yet been glorified. We know that John the Baptist, in the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 11, he said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, saying they should believe on the one that should come after him, whose shoe latch I'm unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. That word and was put in there by the translators. It's really, he will baptize you with Holy Ghost fire. Now, we know in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus commanded the disciples, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father which you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we know that Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be a witness. Let me tell you what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is supposed to look like today. Preaching, teaching, and demonstrating the power of God, the nine gifts of the Spirit in operation in the church. If you look in the Old Testament with the priest, the priest had outer garments on, and he actually had a skirt Around that skirt were nine pomegranates, and there were nine bells. The nine pomegranates represented the nine fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The nine bells represented the nine gifts of the Spirit. You have three utterance gifts, you have three revelation gifts, and you have three power gifts. The utterance gifts are tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. The revelation gifts are the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. And the power gifts are the gifts of healings, the working of miracles, and the gift of faith. If the priest once a year went into the holy of holies to sprinkle blood, and if his life wasn't right, he didn't do everything right, guess what happened to that priest? He fell over dead. If he fell over dead, the bells stopped ringing. Let me say that one more time because I'm not sure if you got that. If the bells that represent the nine gifts of the Spirit aren't ringing, it's because the priest is... I don't know if you all got that quite yet. Praise God. Amen. If the bells of the priest... If the bells of the minister stops ringing, the minister is? If there are no gifts in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today, the church is? Now, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, 
okay? Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, you know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. We talk about, you know, the gift of faith. I mean, uh, the gift of faith, working of miracles, okay? Signs and wonders, unusual happenings. What does it do? It, it brings an awareness of God. He exists because we, see, we serve an unseen God. Brings an awareness. Removes religion. Brings an awareness of God. Removes religion. Helps you with your relationship. Because we serve a God we can't see. But because there's been a famine in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the United States of America of the gifts of the Spirit, then what's happened? There's a form of godliness, but a denial of the power. If Jesus preached, taught, and demonstrated, Matthew 9, 35, if you read that, it says that he went about preaching, teaching, and healing. He preached, he taught, he demonstrated the power. It's all done by faith. Faith is simply belief. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, not by heard. Developing a relationship with the one who took Jesus' place here on the earth. Jesus is not on the earth. He's seated at the right hand of authority with God, and he sent the Holy Spirit. Along with the Holy Spirit, watch this, comes gifts. I don't know of anybody that doesn't like to have a gift. Amen. I'm, my birthday is May the 10th. Praise God. Amen. And I want a Colt 45 911. Praise God. Amen. 1911, sorry. 1911. I'm just throwing that out. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, I, you, know, you got to look for every opportunity. Come on. Hello, somebody. Amen. Yeah. I, let me ask you in this room. How many of you in here, you really don't like to receive gifts, whether it's money or clothes or things that you would like? Could I please see your hand? Well, there's not a one of you in here. That's the most amazing thing. Yeah, I think everybody likes to receive gifts. So watch this. If it's a gift given to you, then it's for your benefit because if you get natural gifts, it's always for your benefit. It blesses your life, makes you happy. Colt 45, 1911 would make me very happy. I think it would make any man, that's a man, any happy. Praise God, amen. Come on, boys, are you with me, boys? Are you with me? All right, good. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that the men of this church don't wear pink lace in their shorts. Praise God, amen. That's a wonderful thing. Pray the Lord, pray the Lord, pray the Lord. Amen. All right, get back to preaching, preacher. Okay, I believe I will. Praise God, amen. Yeah. So my question is, why is there a famine? I'll tell you the reason why. Ministers aren't preaching it. They're preaching messages that tickle the ears of the hearers so they can have a big crowd the next Sunday. Big crowd. All I, all, all I want is 120. I just want to be biblical. I want 120. And there's 120 priests in the temple in 1 Kings. Praise God. There was 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. I think 120. I think when we hit 120, it'll turn into 3,120. And then it'll turn to 8,100. That's biblical. I, I'm like, I'm just going to stay with the Bible. Praise God. I'm going to believe God for 120. It's been done before. We're going to do it again. Can you say amen? amen? Yeah, I mean, I guess everybody that calls Life Family Church that would come to church 
all at once, it'd be over 100 or so. <laughs> Praise God, amen. But that's what I want, 120. I'm going to say biblical. I like biblical. Can you say amen? So it's important to get to know the Spirit of God. It's important to get to know the Holy Spirit. It's important that you have an encounter. I believe that every Christian should have an encounter with God at some point in their Christian life. Because it radically changes them. Look what happened to the Apostle Paul, who was Saul in Acts chapter 9. The Bible says that he was about to go get legal letters to persecute the church. And as he was on the road to Damascus, the Bible says a light shined around about him, and he fell to the earth. He was blinded for three days. That's an encounter with God. You look at, you look, look at Peter. Get Peter thrown into, in, the, in the inner prison. He was about to be killed the next morning. An angel comes and wakes him up out of the sleep opens the prison doors, he walks out and finds out, hey, listen, it's not a dream, it's real. Well, wh- where, where, where have we gone at the church in 2,000 years where we're no longer having dreams and visions and encounters with angelic beings? What's happened? So what do you got to do? Hungry. Got to get hungry. You got to get hungry for these things. Don't become satisfied. Get hungry. You want to see the supernatural? I want to see the supernatural. I want to experience the supernatural. Get hungry. And we're living in that time. We want to see revival. We want to see a move of God that sweeps the United States of America. I want to see a move of God that sweeps Plant City. Praise God. Hallelujah. That, that, that it awakens out of religion and tradition into an encounter with God. He said, what, I gotta, what do I got to do? Get hungry. Get thirsty. Get desperate. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says, desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual land. So if there's a desire, which is actually translated hunger, a hunger for these things, then you'll see these things. So he promised us he wouldn't leave us comfortless. Just because a person is born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, does not mean they've developed a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You've, just because, you've got to develop a relationship with him. Husbands and wives, if you never saw your husband or your wife for three, or four, three to five years, never talked to him on the phone, never Facebook time, never did anything, eventually you probably fall out of love with that person because you don't have a relationship with them anymore. Come on. It's the same thing with God Almighty. If you don't have a relationship with him or it's just occasional, then you just really have an, an occasional relationship. It's casual, casual relationship with God. Yeah, we talk every once in a while. I, I read his word every once in a while. You know, I just, hey, you know, it's, it's, the Bible's on my, uh, yeah, at least there's no dust on the Bible on the coffee table. I mean, you know, occasionally I talk with him. No, no, he wants you to talk with him every day. He wants you to walk with him every day. What do you mean? Just like it was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Hello, somebody. The Bible says they walk together in the cool of the day. God wants that kind of relationship with you. The Holy Spirit wants that kind of relationship with you. Can you say amen? So you need to develop that in your life. It's important you get to know him because he lives on the inside of you and he is with you. Don't confuse the Holy Spirit's gifts from his person. Don't confuse the Holy Spirit's gifts with his person. When you talk about the Holy Spirit to people, they're just familiar with either his gifts or his presence upon them, but not him as a person. You've got to get to know him as a person. He has emotions. He has feelings. He can be quenched, and he can be grieved. How do you quench the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your life, and you tell him no. Actually, when you look that up in the original Greek and the Hebrew, it actually says the word quenched means you're literally stretching forth your hand and grabbing the Spirit of God by the throat and choking the life out of him. 
How many times has God wanted to move in a service and suddenly the Gestapo agents stopped it? How many times where God wanted to touch somebody and because either the pastor was unfamiliar or the minister was unfamiliar or the people were unfamiliar and suddenly God wanted to do something in that person to radically change them and we stopped it. Why would God stop? Because God is a God of order. And he's a God of authority. He will never move past the leadership of a church. Never. Because he's a God of order himself. Wow. That's the reason why when people come and they get touched by God, if they're in a church that doesn't believe in that kind of stuff, they got to get out. I don't care if their grandmother's got a nameplate on the back of their chair. Praise God. Amen. You got you to get out. Or you'll, you'll, you'll go back. Or maybe even worse, fall in a worse state. I can't tell you how many, uh, over the years that we've done revivals and church services and people from other churches have come and gotten touched by God and they've come back to the meeting, come back to the meeting and they'll say this to me, well, we're just believing that the pastor will get revived. We're just, but in the meantime, we're just going to stay there. Well, I said, well, until your pastor gets hungry or until your pastor gets thirsty for a move of God, there'll never be a move of God. You, as the leader is, so shall the people be. So if you're hungry and thirsty, then you'll have a move of God. But until the leadership gets hungry and thirsty, they won't have a move of God. There's a very large church in the Tampa Bay area that had a foreign missionary in. And when that guy began to preach, I think it was like a three-day meeting, when that guy began to preach, demons started manifesting in the congregation. And it was a very large congregation, 2,500 people. And up until the point that that, that missionary came, the pastor was all good with everything. Then suddenly, now... He he sees what the word of God can do and the power in the name of Jesus could do. And all of a sudden now he wants to go that direction, but some of the other leadership in the church didn't want to go that direction. So now he had a decision to make. So he went on sabbatical for about nine days, seeking God. What am I going to do? So he came to a crossroads in his life and his ministry. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Am I going to go with the move of God? Hello? Or am I going to remain the same? And just keep going along this path of cotton, cotton candy Christianity. I'm, I'm good. Don't mess with my. Don't mess with me. I'm good. I'm good. I don't want to change. I'm good. I like it. Me and God got our own special relationship. No, he had to come to the conclusion. Unfortunately, he decided to side with the individuals who said, we really don't want this. Bad decision. I remember Benny Hinn said this. He said, I'd rather have 100 people that are on fire for God, who love God and going after God and have a manifestation of the presence of God than 1,000 people who don't. Just because there's numbers doesn't necessarily mean the hand of God is approved on it. Let me, let me show you one more scripture here and we'll almost close. Go to the book of Acts chapter 2 if you would please. Acts chapter 2. You doing all right? Okay, good. Acts chapter 2. What would be the approval of God that the Spirit of God has on a church body or a church or a ministry? Let me show you something very interesting because what I'm about to share with you was an approval of God on the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And he says this right here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. We'll back up to verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Watch this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. A man 
approved of God. Did Jesus have a ministry? How long was his ministry? About three and a half years, right? He had the approval of God. What indicates the approval of God on a minister, or ministry, church, congregation? Watch this. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, now, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know. So if there are no miracles, there are no signs, no wonders in a church service, is the approval of God on that service? Am I reading this correctly? Am I reading this correctly? So if there is, and I'm not saying each service should be kind of different, okay? And it can be different, okay? But you can have a move of God every service. It's, it's the move in which God wants to do. But if nobody's getting healed, nobody's getting touched, no lives are getting changed, is the approval of God, whether you have 100 people or 5,000 people, what proves the approval of God upon what is the life breath of God breathed on that ministry or breathed on that church? What will happen? There'll be miracles, signs, Wonders. Now, we know what a miracle is. A miracle would be something like if you have no liver and you need a liver kind of thing, or you have no gallbladder, it was taken out, and God puts a gallbladder in. Okay, that's, that's a miracle. All right, we know. But what about signs and wonders, unusual things happening? To those of us around here, you're not too not familiar with the joy of the Lord when the joy breaks out. To us, that's a sign. To somebody else, it could be a wonder. We know a sign to be something that we've either experienced or we've seen someone experience it. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, that is a wonder to you. For those that have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, it is a sign to us. Signs seem to reveal to those who have experienced something with the supernatural and or we've seen the supernatural come on somebody. That's a sign. A wonder is something that none of us have ever experienced before. Makes you want to go, hmm. Now, when you read in the Word of God that when God, when Jesus was doing signs and wonders and miracles, the Bible says that great fear fell on the crowd. Why? Let me, let me, let me tell you the reason why. Because it brings a reality that God is real even though we can't see him. When we have the supernatural backed up and we can see God doing something in a service, it brings a reality that he does exist and it's not just picking Christianity as a religion, like being a Buddhist or a Hindu or whatever, Muslim or whatever it is. People ask me all the time, Dr. Jack, why does Christianity, why is it separated from every other religion in the world? I tell them this, we have the power of God to back up what we preach. Amen. We have the power of God. I can go to the country of Nepal, which is a Buddhist Hindu nation, 27 million people. Less than 1% are Christians in the country of Nepal. Buddhists worship more than 10 gods. 
I mean, Buddhists worship more than 133 million male and female gods. Buddhists worship more than 10 gods. They are an open people. You preach Jesus Christ, they're like, hey, I'll, I'll take him. I'll make him 133 million in one. Amen. But if you ask a Buddhist or a Hindu to leave their religion, they get thrown out of their house. They lose their inheritance. In, in 2019, they lose their inheritance. They get kicked out of their house. All their clothes, everything thrown into the street. You get excommunicated from your family because you decided to leave your 133 million male and female gods. So what would convince a Buddhist and a Hindu to actually pay that kind of price? Let me tell you what it does how, and how it does. It's when the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, that there's proof to back up what we preach. And they've had an encounter with an unseen God that radically changed their life. They were once dead, now they're born again, and not only that, they've had an encounter with God. Every person that I've known in 23 years of ministry has had an encounter with God. They're, they're one way, and then they have an encounter with God, they're totally different. It's like the man for 25 years seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and suddenly he got it and said out of his mouth, my God, I wish I would have did this 25 years ago. Up until that point, he didn't know. And I have discovered that with everybody, even skeptics. Even those that make fun. I'll share one more story with you and then I'll close with this. Many years ago, we were in an Assembly of God church in Grove, Oklahoma. Glenn Starr was his name. Glenn and Karen Starr is when we were first at Bible school. And in our second year of Bible school, we went to his church for nine months every other weekend and did revival services. There was a preacher that came. He was a Church of Christ preacher, came. Had about five or six, uh, some of his family members, some of his congregation members started coming to the meetings. One particular meeting, he was sitting about five rows back. So as I do, sometimes the Lord will have me move into a, into a crowd, and I'll begin to pull people out, and the power of God will come. So I'd come back to this preacher. I didn't even know he was a preacher. I said, can I pray for you? And he crossed his arms and looked at me with a scowl face and went, I said, okay, no pressure, no pressure. So all of a sudden, I prayed for a few more people. Then I felt led of the Lord go back to him and ask him. I said, can I pray for you? He's like, you ain't praying for me. I'm like, it's cool. No, not a problem. So I give him one more chance. So the third time, he's like, no, I said, all right, cool. So all of a sudden, I did the altar call, and I said, and after I did the altar call, I said, well, we want to pray for some more people. If you'd like to come and get prayer. Well, he ran. He ran from, the, from his seat all the way to the front. And I'm standing on this side over here. So he comes running. I said, what'd you come for? Oh, I want you on. I want what you got. I said, you, go, you want everything that God wants for you? He said, yeah, I want everything. I said, in the name of Jesus. Bam! He hits the floor. Suddenly, the pastor's wife starts screaming in her seat. The whole row of people that he brought stands up, starts screaming, Glory to God! Glory to God! Glory to God! Come to find out, he was making fun of me the whole service. He leaned over to his whole family. He said, I'm going up there, and I'm going to prove to this entire crowd that he's a fake, he's a charlatan, and this is not real. Well, it's kind of hard to do that when you're on your back. Praise God. Amen. Boom! Out under the power of God on his back. Stayed there for a while. Came back the next night. Guess what happened? He went from the sixth seat. He was sitting on the front seat. Most amazing thing must have happened. Praise God. Amen. Went from the back, complaining, murmuring, criticizing. Now he's on the front row. Had an altar call. He came forward and everything. And I got to watch out. That's the reason why I need like the mats and the Floyds with me. Because these people sometimes grab a hold of you. 
Yeah, in services. Sometimes they want to punch you. Amen. Come on. Hello, somebody. So all of a sudden, I come down his way. He grabbed a hold of me. A bear hugged me. He started screaming, from you to me, from you to me, from you to me. He was desperate. He was looking to the wrong person, though. He's got to look to Jesus. He's got to direct him toward Jesus. But that's okay. I didn't, I didn't criticize him or anything. I just admired his hunger. I'm sure God admired his hunger, too. Can you say amen? Yeah. His life was totally, radically changed. Went from a Judaizer to someone who's on fire for God. Why? Because he had an encounter with the third person of the Godhead. And when you have an encounter with the third person of the Godhead, it will radically change your life forever. And I pray everyone in this room, you get hungry and you get thirsty. That God will come and touch you. If you have sickness in your body, God will come and heal you. Everyone, this is everyone in the Word of God in the New Testament that came to Jesus that had sickness or disease was totally healed. Not everybody that Jesus went to was healed. But everyone that came to Jesus was healed. Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, only one person got healed. Jesus was in a crowd. There was only one woman who pressed through the crowd and touched him as God was healed. Come on, hello, somebody. There were 10 lepers that came to Jesus. They were all healed. As they were going away, one came back, hello, to give thanks. Watch this. He was made whole. Leprosy. When you have leprosy, your fingers disappear, your nose disappears, your toes disappear. Things start falling off. The Bible says as they went, they were totally healed. That means they had no longer had the disease. But when the one came back to give thanks, he was made whole. That means if he had no nose, he got a new nose. If he had no fingers, he got new fingers. If he had no toes, he got new toes. Can you say amen? So I'm going to encourage you this week. Go after the Holy Ghost. Start talking to him. It's important. He'll lead you and he'll guide you and he'll strengthen you, especially the times that we're living in right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't the Lord good? Doesn't his mercy endure forever? I think his mercy endures forever. So what is God looking for? He's looking for a hungry heart. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for that somebody is hungry. That will draw upon the anointing of the Holy Ghost. When you draw upon the... It's an open heart. You have to have an open heart for these things. You have to be hungry for these things. You have to be thirsty for these things. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us at Life Family Church Podcast. We exist to reach, disciple, and empower people to live in the fullness of God. If you're new to our church or want to learn more about us and what we believe, you can check us out online by simply going to lifefamilychurch.net. We hope you enjoy this week's message.